0: Welcome to You Don't Know Mojack. My name is Ryan. My name is Brandt. And this episode, we're discussing SST-71, The Leaving Trains LP, Kill Tunes. Really looking forward to getting into The Leaving Trains. It's always interesting when we kind of start the story of a band. Um, this isn't their first release, and we'll get into the releases that came before this album, but they have um, they're not... They're not probably like in the top 10 SST bands that people mention or think about, but they definitely uh, put out enough albums to kind of make a mark. And um, I like this record, so I'm looking forward to talking about it.
1: You know, I was thinking about that, Ryan. I kind of had a similar thought, like they are not typically a, a band that comes up when you hear SST that people either talk about. The famous bands, like the first wave of bands, like Minutemen, Black Flag, Meet Puppets, Husker Du, or they talk about some of the bands that went on to be more, to do to be famous, like Dinosaur Jr., Sonic Youth, Soundgarden, Screaming Trees, what have you. I bet you the Leaving Trains have, are like in the top five as far as the number of albums released on SST. <laughs>
0: like amount? Yeah quantity. Maybe. They might be. I mean, they've got uh, they definitely got a handful, and not many bands made it past three, you know? Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, I mean, they're just, I don't know, I'm looking forward to kind of starting their story. Well, I I was
1: also really into the Leaving Trains just because, and this is not a a diss on anything that we've done in the last few weeks, but we've done a few comps, which you know, don't get me wrong, that's fun. Uh, And then, you know, we were into some I guess some heavier type stuff. I don't mean heavy, like, sonically, I just mean, like, you know, slovenly, for example, which was a little more challenging, maybe. It was good to dense. get in... Yeah, dense. It's good to get into some some rock type stuff. Some real rock-centric Yeah, centric
0: yeah stuff. these guys, this, uh, I, I've always kind of thought of them as like a, almost like a poppier punker, drunker, gun club almost.
1: I don't know. Yeah, for sure.
0: I don't know if that makes sense to you, but can I hit you with a couple of spiels real quick?
1: Lay on me, daddy-o.
0: Okay, so just a couple of quick recommends of some records that came in the mail that I quite like. Um, I got the new Mark Dutrum. Mm-hmm. A former bass player for the Melvins and his new album called the bluebird i've got all his records um he's got about five or six but this one is really good so i would and i think you would like it it's um it definitely sounds melvin's-y but it also has some pretty atmospheric stuff in there almost kind of sounds queens of the stone age-esque from time to time but um it's a great album it's like it's not something that you're gonna when you start listening to it, you want to hear it all the way to the end. It's it's yeah. good that way. Yeah, I, t- I usually check out his stuff.
1: And, and yeah. I was aware of the new album. I haven't had a chance to check it out yet, though.
0: Yeah, it's good. I, I think you would like it. And then another one that uh, just came out that I got, and I think you already know that I got this, but I got to pump it because it's just awesome. As usual, Is the new Bob Mould. Mm-hmm. Uh, Sunshine Rock. I mean, there's been a few... Comments online that it's like he's just doing the same old thing. I don't think that this this record. Well, this record sounds like Bob Mold, and he's got he's just a, a kick-ass trio again with uh, Worcester and Narducci. And he can't this, win, hey. <laughs> yeah, it's like, it's like he
1: tries to do something different, and everyone, everyone's like, "Put out another Sugar type album," or yeah, and, and then but, he rocks, and people don't want that.
0: Yeah, but I, I mean, I think that that's just people who are being lazy, actually, yeah. Yeah. is what I wanted to say, because I think he's he's still he's still keeping it fresh. There's, uh, I don't know. It's just a great Bob Mould record, kind of as usual. I mean, he's put out a couple of stinkers, but uh, the last four or five have been really good. I wanted to ask you, though, about Bob Mould. I was thinking about, like, who from the SST clan – other than Bob Mould and maybe Jay Maskus, Dinosaur Jr., who is still putting out this many records this frequently and this good? Can you name anyone other than those two?
1: Uh, well,
0: frequently,
1: Thurston Moore has his hands in tons of different projects. I can't speak okay. to the quality because I haven't heard all of it. I mean, and he was pumping out solo albums at a pretty fast clip for a while there too, like under his under the name Thurston Moore. And they I liked them, but you know, I I like Thurston Moore. Okay. So yeah, I don't know, he's the he's the one that comes to mind, but
0: The only other one that I could think of was maybe even Mark Lanigan.
1: Yeah. Lee Ronaldo's done a fair amount as well.
0: Yeah, I just mean like yeah, maybe yeah, Mark like like, like, like a good amount, like one every couple of years and reliable, you know. Yeah.
1: Well, the pops, a, the pups were cranking them out there when they first got back together, but they've kind of slowed down. Yeah, when's their new one coming out? March? I think in March. Yeah.
0: Okay, you probably have that ordered, don't you? Oh yeah, at a boy. That that's it. I just had a couple of quick recommends. How about yourself?
1: Well, I have a couple recommends too, and I mean, most people who listen to this podcast probably already have have these albums. I know you do, Ryan. I'm not sure if you're planning on getting the the reissues, but I got the Green River uh, Deluxe editions. I guess I want to call them. Oh
0: yeah, yeah. I got them both in the mail.
1: Yeah, really nice packages. Sub Pop just kills it when it comes to these things, in my opinion, you know? Oh, yeah. Like, the Tad ones were great. Um, i trying to think, I, you know, the U-Men one was really good. They're really good yeah. at, at repackaging this stuff. And
0: I went in on a Sub Pop order with a buddy of mine to save on shipping and got those for sure. It's
1: nice to get the loser editions
0: too, hey? Yeah. I mean, it's nice. I, it doesn't, like, break my heart if I don't get them.
1: Yeah, mine neither. I'm not a big... Colored but wax uh, guy, but
0: it's if you're going to sink the dough into an order, it's nice to get the fancy one for sure.
1: Yeah, exactly. I don't know. It's nice to have all the compilation tracks in one place. The demos are good, uh, it sounds great. The packaging's great. Yeah, Green
0: River is awesome. All yeah. their records are good. Love them still. I was a treat to listen to them when it came in the mail.
1: Yeah. And the only other thing, again, anybody who listens to this podcast, undoubtedly knows this and this is old news by the time this this episode airs but Black Flag is has announced a show. Like the Greg Ginn version of the band.
0: Well I I you know I was I saw that uh posting and I was kinda of thinking to myself if it was anywhere near me, which it of course is not, would I go? And I was like, yeah, I totally go to that. Oh for sure.
1: I mean 100%. they're they're playing with descendants, so for sure you would <laughs> <laughs> yeah, which, as many people pointed out, could be interesting. They're playing literally right before The Descendants on the bill at this. So they're half, they're playing at Sabrosa.
0: Flag. <laughs> they're playing with they're playing right before half a flag, right?
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yep. Yeah. But how cool would that be? If I mean, I don't know what their relationship was is like. Probably not good. But what if Bill Stevenson came out and played like My War or something like that?
0: Woo! Oh my gosh! Yeah. I saw a clip recently posted. I don't. It was recently posted. I don't know if it was taped recently, but um, it was. It was the Descendants, but Robo got up and drummed, and Des was singing. Oh yeah, with uh, the I Descendants. Yeah, I, I, think,
1: I saw that. I watched that. Bill's playing bass or whatever.
0: Yeah, 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 yeah. So that'd be cool.
1: Yeah, he does a little speech about Robo and stuff. Bill yeah. does. Robo
0: yeah. still looks very robotic when he drums
1: yeah (laughs) Uh, yeah and apparently according to the Black Flag website I think it's blackflagband.com there's more dates announced soon hell maybe they'll they'll even do a new album who knows I'm assuming I mean there's no info but assumptions are that it's Mike Vallely on vocals and uh, I mean everyone's going to have an opinion on that I would I would give it a fair shake
0: So I would go see that Black Flag show, but something just came to mind. I'm curious what you would say to this. Would you go see the Dead Kennedys without Jello singing? No.
1: Not interested. Yeah, neither
0: neither would I. No No way. But I'd I'd go see a Black Flag with Gin in the band, no matter who's singing.
1: It's different. Black Flag has had like four or five singers. Yeah. Yeah. There's only one singer for... And I'm not a big singer guy. Like... You know, Black Sabbath is one of my all time favorite bands. I love every singer that they've had in that band. All all eras. And Van Halen, I can I can deal with Sammy Hagar. You know? You can change out a singer in a band. But I'm not sure if you can do Dead Kennedys without Jelly Biafra. There are certain yeah. there are certain things you just cannot do.
0: Yeah, that's pretty sacrilegious. Yeah. Too bad, but uh, yeah, I, I'm happy to uh, to see we agree on those points, yeah, very well. Then, uh, do you want to get into the Leaving Trains? Yeah, man, history lesson part one.
1: Hey, Ryan, yo, why don't you lay some Leaving Trains history on us?
0: Yeah, when we get into a band for the first time, and especially if it's not their first release, it makes sense to kind of go through um, the history in the band. And when you look up the leaving trains, you kind of see the same three or four kind of points. Uh, we're not really going to get into, you know, that falling James married Courtney love or anything like that on this episode. What, uh, what I want to dig a little bit more deeply into is in history lesson. Part one is the, uh, the releases that came before kill tunes and, uh, a little bit about their evolution and, uh, if you've got any points or whatever, just jump on in. And now I must say, um, I found some info that I couldn't really corroborate or was a little conflicting. Okay. So I'm just going to throw it all out there and let people correct us.
1: Uh, well, I'll give you a little heads up too, Ryan. One of the things I like to do is, and Discogs is really hard to to search on sometimes.
0: Oh, yeah. Did you try clicking on some of the band members? Oh in yeah. The train? Yeah, and yeah. I
1: mean, and I mean a lot of the stuff I know that these people were involved in does not come up, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But uh I that is something I'm really interested in is all these little connections and how you know, Falling James played with a lot of a lot of people over the years and some of them on again off again and there's a lot of cool connections and which may might be uh, completely uninteresting to some people, but to me, I, I like all that stuff. So I might be jumping in with some of that.
0: Yeah, well, let's hit it, and I'll, I'll, uh, I'll try my best to kind of stay on topic too. Yeah. <laughs> I'll bring us back into the leaving trains fold.
1: Yeah, you might, um, you might have to a few times. Ta- a few times. I'll also mention, Ryan. I spoke to Tom Hoffer, who's a, who was in the band during this era, and got some info from him as well.
0: Nice. Okay. Well. Let's start then. Um, So my info has the leaving train starting out in 1980 and uh, formed in LA Pacific Palisades, apparently specifically uh, formed by falling James Moreland. And uh, as we follow the leaving train story, we'll, we'll hear more about him. He's kind of known for stage antics and wearing women's clothing and whatnot. Um, Anyways, Following James, the first lineup that I could find had uh, James Moreland and then Manfred Hoffer on guitar, who uh, ended up being a bit of a visual artist for Leaving Trains and Trotsky Ice Pick, among others. Yep. Sil- Sylvia Junkoza on keyboards. And uh, we'll, we'll follow Sylvia as well in the SST story. She becomes a member of SWA, and um, also puts out some at least one solo album, I believe, on SST. Yep. Uh, Manfred's brother, I believe, Tom, who you just mentioned, Tom Hoffer, on bass. Yep. Um, he also played in a band called Into Damascus with Sylvia Giancosa. Uh Not
1: into Damascus, just to Damascus.
0: Oh, to Damascus, right? Yep. <laughs> <laughs> That's my notes. Um, and then uh, a guy named Chris. Koval or Koval on drums in the first lineup. I also read something that said that someone named Hillary Laddin was in the first lineup of the Leaving Trains. The info I could find too about the lead singer, James Moreland is that he also previously played in at least three bands like before Leaving Trains that I could find um, called the Downers, the Mongrels and another band called Sluts for Hire.
1: Hmm. I didn't see sluts for hire. I saw the Mongrels, Downers. Um, he played in in 1980, and David Roback of Mazzy Star and Opal uh, was in in the Mong- or sorry, in the Downers. Uh, David Roback also played in Rain Parade with his brother Stephen Roback and John Hoffs, who is the brother of Susanna Hoffs, who was uh, the lead vocalist and guitarist in the Bangles. So wow, okay. lots of interesting it's like playing that game seven degrees from Kevin Bacon or whatever. <laughs>
0: yeah. So it's a bit it's like that. S- I think it's six degrees of Kevin Bacon actually, but oh, I play, me stuff. and
1: me and my friends play seven because we like it.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> you lightweights over there might play six, but
0: Yeah, okay. Fair <laughs> enough. Um anyways, the uh, one of the best write ups I found about uh, the Leaving Trains in the early days is in the reissue, expanded edition of the compilation Keats Rides a Harley, which originally mm-hmm. came out on Happy Squid Records.
1: So they're on that uh, comp then, I'm assuming.
0: Yeah, no, they they uh, have one song on the original version of Keats Rides a Harley, a song called Virginia City, okay. which uh, that song is actually also on their first LP, Well Down Blue Highway. Uh, the bonus tracks on Keats' Rides of Harley, though, the CD version, there's a second Leaving Trains song on there called Cigarette Motel, which is actually on this album, Kill Tunes. Right.
1: Ah, that would explain why that was recorded at a different session. I'm pretty sure that's the one I saw on the LP jacket that was recorded earlier. Yeah. We'll get to that. Um, I'm I bet you it's the same version then. I was trying to figure out why that was...
0: No, it's not. Oh, okay. No, it's not. It's not. Um, anyways, the uh, the write-up in the jacket, it's uh, it's actually by uh, Manfred Hoffer, writes the write-up. And um, another interesting connection for the Leaving Trains is uh, this Happy Squid Records connection. Big time. Um, and also, also with... Uh, Vitus or Vitus Matari from the last yeah. um, Manfred explains it as they, they started out using, they used to practice on basically the bikeway on the beach um, but then they got kind of chased away and ended up practicing in the parking structures at UCLA because you could get free power there um, but then they were That's discovered awesome. <laughs> yeah, They were they were discovered by Kevin Barrett Riding by on a bike, and Kevin Barrett, of course, is the drummer for the urinals. Mm. And uh, Kevin invited Leaving Trains to share the bill with them, and they ended up being asked to put some tracks or a track on this uh, this compilation, Keats Rides a Harley. And um, as, as I said, and it says in here, you know, the urinals, and then soon to be 100 Flowers, and then Vetus Matari from uh, The Last kind of took the Leaving Trains under their wing in the first couple of years.
1: Man, there's some deep SST connections to that. Keats rides a Harley. We've, we've brought that comp up like so many times.
0: Oh yeah. And you can tell, like they actually really fit on this one. I mean, not only is there the meat puppets on this compilation and a hundred flowers, uh, but the gun gun club uh, toxic shock. Um, yeah, no, it's, it's like, and I, I, you know, I'm not really an original like I, I must have the original pressing type of guy. This is definitely a situation where buying the uh, the re-release CD with you know 12 extra tracks is is the way to go in my mind with the big write up too.
1: Who's Toxic Shock again? Is that the Slovenly dudes? We talked about that one recently and I'm, I can't remember.
0: <laughs> Hang on. Yeah, so talk. Toxic Shock, Tom Watson, is on bass in that right, band. Right, right, right. Formed in 1979, South Bay, L.A., suburban Manhattan Beach. So, yeah, I know, like, Keats Rides a Harley. And again, we mentioned this last week. This is one of the compilations mentioned in uh, issue six of that Dynamite Hemorrhage zine. We mentioned that last week. Okay, so I'm about to move into their their first single brand, the, the songs that came after Keats Rides a Harley. Oh, okay. That's also put out on uh, Happy Squid Records. Got anything from Tom?
1: Yeah, let me see. Let me lay a little bit of Tom off you, and I'll I'll take you into that era. Tom, I joined the band in early 1980. Manfred and James were high school chums that worked together in a band called the Mongrels. I'm pretty sure they'd already picked the band name before I joined. Sylvia was also already involved before I was, and we started rehearsals in her parents' garage.
0: Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. That's a little different than the account given in Keith's Rides of Harley.
1: Well, they might have been playing before Tom joined, even maybe.
0: Yeah, very true. So their first single, um, as I mentioned, it, it came out on Happy Squid Records. It's the songs Bringing Down the House and Going to Town, recorded at Radio Tokyo by Ethan James. And if you'll recall... When we were talking about, uh, I can't remember what episode it was, but the Radio Tokyo tape, tapes, that LP, mm-hmm. and how um, the cover shot you can see presumably inside the studio, Radio Tokyo, and pinned up on the wall, is this single by Leaving Trains. Oh, cool. Um, now, this this is from 1982. The lineup on this release is James Morland. Manfred Hoffer um, says Tomahawk on bass. Guessing that's Tom. So we, yeah. Sylvia Junko's on keys. And then a drummer named John Lack or Lacquez hmm. who um, re- seems to have resurfaced when you look on Discogs anyways, in a in a group called The Human Value in around 2005, 2007. Okay. Um, this is also produced by Vitas Matari this single okay after this single they put out their first LP well down Blue Highway. Here again we've got a different lineup. It, it's really starting to look though like the core members are falling James and Manfred and Tom Hoffer yeah but also joining the band on this album is Terry Graham. On drums and in uh, it says drums historic, so he must have been in it from for a hot minute. But Terry Graham, of course, played in the Gun uh, Gun Club.
1: Yeah, he played on Fire of Love in Miami. He also played in Opal. I don't think he played on the album that's on SST. He was in I think he was in the band before that. He played in the Cramps. He played in the Alice Bag band. You can see him in the Decline of Western Civilization. Chris Kakavas also played on it. We've mentioned him before. He was in Green on Red. He played on the album as well. Do you know anything about the label that it came out on?
0: Bemis Brain Records? Yeah. Or Bemis Brain? I don't.
1: Okay, so it's a co-release between them and Enigma. Yeah. Enigma is like, they were one of the biggest indie labels of the 80s, I would say. Um, Especially when they joined up with Reckless Records. I used to buy tons of that stuff. I think I used to yeah, mail order it. Me too. Yeah. And they, I mean, they were all over the place from punk rock to glam rock to metal. That label, Bemis Records, uh, was started in 1984. It's an indie label out of Long Beach by, started by Jimmy Bemis or Bemis of the band Modern Warfare. And they put out stuff by Nip Drivers, Modern Warfare, the Super Heroines, The Crude, Tex and the Horseheads, self-titled album, uh, and some comps because everyone did comps. When men were when men were men and sheep were scared. You ever heard of that one?
0: I have not. Uh, Who's on that one?
1: Um, Well, I'll get to that in a second. Hell comes to your house, Volume One and Two. Ever heard of those?
0: They do ring a bell. Some of the bands
1: were like Secret Hate, who were a New Alliance associated band. Forty Five Grave. One hundred flowers, the Minutemen, Blood on the Saddle, another New Alliance band, uh, yep. the, the Joneses we've talked about before, Social Distortion, so pretty pretty interesting history there. You know, there's so many of these labels that came and went. You know,
0: yeah. Should also mention too that Sylvia Joncas is she's uh, given keyboards credit on this record as well, and then uh, Jason Kahn. For percussion and he's he's called like Terry Graham is called drums historic Jason Kahn is called percussion futuristic um, and uh, I, I don't know I can only assume that's because they were transitioning through drummers or percussionists who knows
1: yeah I, I have a bit about that that we'll get into when we talk about Kill Tunes
0: okay so um, well down Blue Highway though did you listen to that one for yep. the
1: show yep Definitely a gun club vibe to it. As yeah as Killtoons has at times, but that one I found Way more. Way more.
0: Yeah. Well down Blue Highway. Definitely uh picking up on the gun club tip. Roots Rock, more bluesy. Um like uh, what's the one track on there? The second last track is just I think it's called Virginia City. It's like eight minutes long or something. I I might have the the name wrong. But um it's funny too, like I'm interested in getting into the leaving trains because kill tunes is kind of the album by them that I know the best. Yeah. And I'm using this as an excuse to like dig deeper into their other albums that I, I didn't really listen to a lot. So that part's cool. Yeah. Um, they're, they've got some good stuff going on the leading trains. That's all I had on well down the blue highway though, before we get into, uh, History lesson part one on Kill Tunes, Brant, unless you've got anything.
1: Well, I'll lead us in there with some Tom here. We'd gone through a num a good number of drummers by this point, and in 1984 we started playing with Jason Kahn, who seemed a great fit in terms of style and energy. James was, James was writing a lot of powerhouse tunes as a result. Most of James's inspiration seemed to come from relationships, politics, baseball, and Sylvia Plath, but I could be wrong.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, Jason is, uh, he's fully credited as drums then on Killtoons. Yeah. Do you want to start
1: out Jason's discography on, uh, on, uh, discogs? It will blow your mind. He's well, this is, this, this comes from Tom. Jason is, I wasn't even sure if it was the same Jason Kahn. So I was glad to get, get this from Tom. Jason is now quite the avant-garde percussionist musician based in Berlin. Yeah, like he's got an insane discography.
0: Yeah, not not the least of which is drumming for Trotsky Icepick eventually too on his way to Berlin. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. Um, well, let's talk about Kill Tunes then before we get into the uh, the album. I mean, this lineup again. We've got kind of the core trio of James Manfred and Tom. Jason is joined, as you say. And then uh, four other people. Sylvia Junkoza is no longer in the band, it appears. She's uh, she's not even given a credit. There's a, a percussionist called Hunter Crowley.
1: Yep. He also played in Trotsky Ice Pick, The Warlocks, yep. uh, The Last, The Hangmen, one of my faves, uh, The Brian Ch- Jonestown Massacre, and a whole bunch of other stuff.
0: Yeah, he's definitely been around. Um Eric Stringer on backing vocals, Hans Rumschussel on cello on Light Rain, and then Eric Westfall violin on Light Rain. And Eric Westfall also engineered and produced this record. He produced co-production with Vitas Matari again. Yep. Eric Westfall became pretty big producer as well. I don't know if you checked out his list. It's pretty, yeah. pretty long.
1: <laughs> it's crazy.
0: It's insane. Yep. So uh, yeah, I mean, there's just some amazing stuff going on with uh, the Leaving Trains and all of their, all the people and musicians that they have relations with.
1: Ryan, I've got some stuff here from Tom about the recording of the album. He actually kept a journal, so I've got, so he, he sent me like some dates. So
0: wow. Yeah, because yeah. it says it's recorded in mixed 85 to 86, no further detail.
1: Yeah, maybe the mixing into 86. So here's what I got from him. February 3rd, 85. These are all 12 a.m. to like 10 a.m. type sessions. First session, um, they did the backing tracks. And then February 17th, 85. 12 a.m. to 8 a.m. Backing tracks for warning track, Falling and She's Looking at You. Earlier that night, we played at Madame Wong's with Channel 3 and the Joneses. February 24th, 85, overdub session. At 4.30 that day, we did a free gig at Texas Records. That night, we played at Club 88. Various sessions listed into March with just overdubs. Here's an interesting one. February 15th, 85, I recorded six tracks with Jason Kahn and Sylvia Junkoza for the first To Damascus album, and that would be 1986 Succumb album. 41185. Jason Kahn quits the band. 41285. Tom quits the band. So here, here's <laughs> here's what he said about that. The album was recorded shortly before Jason and I left the band. Jason, as happened with most of our drummers, got fed up with James. I, as bassist, was in no mood to teach a new drummer the over 40 songs in our repertoire by that point, and I was certain I was going to start a new band of my own. Uh, 35 years later, and I still haven't. (laughs) (laughs) We recorded it at Mad Dog Studios in Santa Monica, or on Santa Monica Boulevard, on many cheap-rate midnight sessions with engineer Eric Westfall and producer-slash-guru Vitas Matare, of course, of The Last and Trotsky Ice Pick. At this point, they were playing at places like Club 88 the Music Machine, Alice Bar, Anti Club, Cafe de Grande, with bands like The Last, The Minutemen, Flesh Eaters, Agent Orange, One Hundred Flowers, The Urinals, Pandora's, Long Riders, Christian Death. A few things about um, Manfred and, and Tom. Manfred as you mentioned is Tom's older brother. They, this is from Tom. They hadn't played together prior uh, to the Leaving Trains. Tom was only 17 when he joined the band. But since leaving, they played together in a band called Cottonmouth and also worked together with David Winogrand uh, in Two Damascus and some other bands.
0: Oh, sorry, Brent. The band name is actually Two Damascus. What did I say? You said In Two Damascus. <laughs> did I? <laughs> yeah. So did I before. It's hard not to say In Two Damascus. You jackass. <laughs>
1: Uh, Manfred, David, and Sylvia all contributed contributed to a solo record Tom did in 2003 Yeah. Uh, called Clearing House. Brett Gurowitz also played on that, I noticed. And, yeah, it, I saw and that. it was engineered by Eric Westfall.
0: I had no idea that record existed.
1: Yeah. And the drums I noticed were by Brad Holtzman, who took the back cover photos on Killtoons. In twenty eleven, Tom joined Trotsky Ice Pick with original members Vitas Matare, John Frank. Kale J- Johansson and vocalist John Tally jones who joined in the late 80s. He says they put out a single last year and are working on releasing a 12-inch album this year as well as an EP of additional stuff. Uh, Tom was also in a band called The Mistaken with Greg Turner of Angry Samoans. Oh, in, yeah. In 1993, they had an album on Triple X Records called Santa Fe. I checked it out. It's kind of like a surfy kind of thing it's pretty cool
0: what's the name of the band
1: uh the mistaken oh santa fe is the name of the album he was briefly in a band called the need before they became divine weeks which is band i like um they have an out a really good they've got a few albums and they put one out last year too but they they released one that i like called through and through it's on this down there records which was uh Uh, a record label owned by Steve Wynn of the Dream Dream Syndicate. It was kind of co-released with Restless Records. Uh, Dennis Duck of the Dream Syndicate was also in Divine Weeks. And Tom was also in a band called Kill City, who have a 7-inch on Dionysus Records called Secret Smile.
0: I've got that single.
1: Yeah, Brad Holtzman was also in that band, who I just mentioned. So there you go. You mentioned Eric Stringer too does backup vocals, I think, on this. We'll be seeing him again. He he's gonna play bass later on in the leaving trains.
0: Yeah, well there's definitely if you can't tell by now, there's a lot of different iterations of the leaving trains. And then I mean when Tom talks about leaving the leaving trains, James Moreland like kind of revamped the leaving trains a number of times over the years. Yeah. Um and uh there's at least a couple of records where uh where Tom's not on it, anyways. Let's talk about the tunes. History lesson part two. All right, man, walk me through it. I'm interested to hear what uh what you thought of these uh songs, listening to them again.
1: So overall, I thought like they were definitely doing what a lot of bands were doing around that time, which was like incorporating a bit more of a sixties sound. You know, I was thinking of bands like it doesn't sound like this, but a lot of bands like, say, The Damned on the Black Album, and a lot of the, the bands they would have played with, probably like the 3 o'clock, almost like, you know, Baroque-type sounds. There's some of that on here for sure. And uh, I should also say, I got Tom's. Tom's going to gonna chime in as we go through the tracks here, because I got some stuff from him.
0: Or are you going to hit me with some Tom notes? You bet. Okay, right on.
1: So... Track one, side one, Light Rain. I wrote, there's a definite Dream Syndicate vibe to this one. For me, it's kind of a weird opener, especially when she's looking at you. Is about to come blazing out of the speakers, but the violin makes it a bit more interesting for me.
0: Yeah, I I thought it was, like, in context, not a bad start to the record. I kind of, I don't know, you know the Dream Syndicate stuff better than me. I just kind of thought it was, like, reminded me of a bunch of, roots rock type stuff.
1: Manfred gets a co-write on this one. It's the only one that other than the cover that we'll get to in a couple tracks here that wasn't written by Falling James. Uh, Here's what Tom says. Jason must have already quit the band. James, Manfred and I were in the studio to record vocal overdubs. There were a couple of tunes where the lyrics hadn't quite been worked out and James wasn't inspired to work on those but instead wanted to record this tune but we hadn't laid down backing tracks, so Manfred and I put down our parts without a drummer, I hope we used a click track, but I'm guessing not, and James added his vocals. Hunter Crowley had jumped in on drums for my last gig with the band, and came back to the studio on later sessions to add drums. A little tough not knowing how steady the tempo would be. I have to add here that I knew Hunter from high school, and he was already an awesome drummer then, and if I had known that he was going to be Jason's replacement, I probably wouldn't have quit the band.
0: Hmm, no kidding.
1: I don't know whose idea the strings were, but the idea probably came from Arthur Lee and Love. James and Man- Manfred were big fans. Engineer Eric Westfall had a pal who played cello. That would be Hans, who you mentioned.
0: Say his last name, Brand.
1: <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> you, you say it. Groom.
0: Rumschussel.
1: (laughs) Ruhmschussel. Eric, of course, played the violin. Yeah. There you go.
0: Yeah, I think it's a good opener. The next track, though, like you said, just comes right out of the speakers.
1: Yeah. So I got into the Leaving Trains through the compilation that we're going to get to in like 10 years. I can't remember what it's called, but... Well, actually, I checked them out. I think because I was reading Falling James in Maximum Rock and Roll. I'm pretty okay. sure if I'm remembering, he had an article in there that I liked. Like a col- he was like a columnist for a while, and so that's why I checked the band out. And "She's Looking at You" was one that always stood out for me on that comp.
0: "She's Looking at You" is the act- like it is the epitome of a song that you would put on a compilation tape. Like this is the one where you like you want to impress someone with your record collection you put this song on the tape you make for them
1: yeah so this one they SST did as a promo single as well and they used to number their singles as psST and then yep. and then the corresponding catalog number but this one was labeled psst 73 which is which is actually a SWA sex doctor that we're going to be getting to in a couple of weeks. They mislabeled it. Should have been 71. Uh I wrote I love the breakdown with the chorus on the bass. I I'm a big fan of breakdowns. And for me like the opening lyrics, the walked into a room called the USA, cast my eyes like the rising sun, 30,000 feet over probably Arizona. I spit out the wind, you call it rain. Love it.
0: Awesome. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. So uh can I give you a tom note on this song? Yeah. Okay, so when we were kind of getting ready for this uh, episode, I went and found a bunch of live Leaving Trains footage on YouTube. Oh, yeah. I looked up this song in particular, and there's a note from Tom Hoffer, if it's the real Tom Hoffer, I'm sure it is, six years ago. And his comment is, we double-tracked the bass line to cover up my flubs. And when I read that, I was like, what? And so I listened to this song like really, really carefully, and it does kind of have a almost like a chorus sound to the bass, hmm. and there is a li- there is a moment during the breakdown where something feels a little off, but it still totally works.
1: Yeah, he sent that to me too. Now, as I'm, I bet you, it might not even be a chorus then, but yeah, he said the fastest, most difficult track I personally had to play, hence the double-tracked bass.
0: Right on. Then we get into uh, Private Affair, which. You and I know better as a, a song by the Saints.
1: Yeah, it's from the 1978 Saints album Eternally Yours. Eternally Yours? Not Yours. Written by Chris <laughs> <Ben>. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Why? What's wrong with yours?
1: <laughs> Written by <With> Chris.
0: Cr- <laughs> We get made uh, enough fun of for our accent, let's keep in the yours. Sure. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Written by Chris Bailey and Ed. How do you say his last name? How would you say that? I
0: always kinda I always kind of blend it in and like call Quepper Quepper. That's,
1: that's how I've always said it. Yeah. Do you ever listen to his band,
0: The Aints? Oh yeah, and uh, I even have some of his. Is wasn't he in the Laugh Laughing Clowns?
1: He might have been. I know. Yeah.
0: I, I have the I have the Aints though.
1: Yeah, I have a few of their albums and they put out one last year that was really good too called The Church of Simultaneous Existence.
0: The Aints did?
1: Yeah. What? Yeah. I didn't know that. If you if you want to hear like what you wish the Saints sounded like. Instead you
0: know, of Chris Bailey's crappy blues bands?
1: Yeah. Then you should check out the Aints.
0: Uh well, no, I've got their older stuff. I didn't know they were still putting out tunes. Yeah, man. Yeah, Ed Cooper or Kepper or whatever, he's in he has a
1: bunch of solo albums, too.
0: Yeah. I'd, I've I've heard those. They're not the greatest, but I, I like the first few Laughing Clowns records. Gotta love the Saints.
1: Well, here's what Tom says. We loved the Saints. Who doesn't? So this was always a fun cover to do live. Jason does a particularly great job on here. It's
0: a good cover. Yeah, those, those first few Saints records are...
1: You can't touch the first four, man.
0: Yeah. Yeah, they're pretty deadly. Then we get into Cigarette Motel, and that is, again, the song that was... Um, a, it's a bonus cut on the Keith Rides of Harley re-release on CD. This is a different version. This is re-recorded.
1: Okay. So, yeah, this is the B-side of the promo single that I mentioned. I wrote it definitely has that late 70s L.A. punk sound. Definite X influence going on on this one, which was echoed by Tom. He says... One of our three oldest tunes. The intro to this was Vetus or Eric's idea. It's my isolated backing vocal to black, both forward and backwards, inspired by X.
0: Yeah, for me, my notes just say, this is a a prototypical LA rocker. That's what I've got. Yeah. And then it's uh, 10 generations. Now, I'm interested to see what you think... Of this song I wonder if you heard the same thing I did 10 generations Brant.
1: I just wrote more late 70s punk a bit of a British punk vibe British oh sound to me
0: oh had a boy so for me this yep. has got like Mick Jones all over it clash now yeah no I'm not saying that they that this is like derivative but it may have been influenced by something else too but That's for some reason, that's really what came to mind for me listening to this tune, especially kind of the the ringing, the ringing solo notes. Very Mick Jones for me.
1: Well, check this out. Here's from Tom. One of my fave trains tracks. Also always fun to do live. Our love of the clash probably comes through on this.
0: Oh, no way. (laughs)
1: <laughs> I, I probably shouldn't admit this, but sometimes when we did this live during the second half, I'd start playing the bass line to the Go Go's "Head Over Heels." <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, any time that I listen to something that reminds me of the Clash, I just listen to the Clash for an entire week. So, <laughs> I know what I'm going to start doing tonight.
1: Track six, "Canet," is the ballad for me. It's got Slow a Slow down. It's got a real classic rock feel to it. This is the one that was recorded at a different session, not Cigarette Motel that I was thinking about. It was recorded in August of 84. Uh, Here's what Tom says, about a cousin of James, James's with whom he had an ongoing correspondence. I'm not privy to the details, but he undoubtedly has a soft spot for her. Then we flip it over, and the first track on Side B is a drunker
0: version of You. This would probably be a bit of a... kind of has kind of novelty lyrics almost. Not really, but Yeah, It's probably my least favorite track.
1: Yeah, it didn't do much for me. Here's what Tom says. A total mess. This was one where some of the lyrics were written at the last minute. The ambient noises were recorded outside of the studio in the middle of the night, which undoubtedly endeared us to the neighbors. That includes us sticking a microphone on the end of a very long cable out the front door and aiming it at the street as engineer Eric drove by in his 60s sedan and lay on the horn as he passed, which you can hear at the 228 mark. As we were outside, someone noticed an open garbage dumpster against a brick wall and thought it would be a great idea to throw a beer bottle at the wall over the dumpster and get the sounds of both the breaking bottle and the resulting shards landing in the dumpster. Not sure how James could have gotten any glass in his finger from that distance. Hmm. Uh, And then the second track is Black. I wrote, has a bit of a SoCal, that SoCal sound to it.
0: Yep, I agree.
1: Here's what Tom said. Another of the awesome tunes James wrote in 83 or 84, this one about the plight of the Native American, I believe, not black, not white, a ghost. I can still remember playing a great version at the music machine in Santa Monica.
0: Yeah, it's pretty... uh, I mean, I will admit, until listening to it this week... I never really paid attention to the lyrics but I read along on the lyric sheet this week. I didn't realize it was uh had that big of a political slant this song yeah
1: he writes good lyrics he's a good lyricist he's a real he's a a writer following james
0: oh yeah well we'll we'll have to talk about the uh the insert that came with the record too yeah don't let us don't forget
1: I'm pretty sure that's like his day job is writing for like the l a weekly and stuff like that. Track three, Falling, written when, this is from Tom, written when Sylvia was still in the band, I can hear her keyboards on this in my head. It sound sounds much better and grittier without them. Once Sylvia left the band, we sounded much tighter, more focused and aggressive. I just wrote I love the Stooges wah-wah in it. It's got that <laughs> Ron Ashton wah.
0: Yeah, it does. Uh, and then there's Vicky is the next track.
1: Yeah, I wrote Pointed Sticks. That's what I wrote.
0: So I've got Clash slash Pointed Sticks. It definitely... <laughs> that's what I have written down. Jesus. And you know what else? I was almost going to write Stiff Little Fingers. Yeah. But I was like, ah, no, it's more the Clash, this one. Yeah. And again, it's the Mick Jones kind of sounding guitar for me. I don't know.
1: Uh, here's what Tom wrote. James's acoustic solo was very cool. This always makes me think of hanging out backstage at the Anti Club with the Bangles, though James used to swear it wasn't about Vicky Peterson.
0: Huh. Interesting. These, uh, the lyrics for Vicky are not printed on the insert.
1: Hmm. Terminal Island, Tom wrote, No idea what or who this is about. A spot-on solo by James. I didn't have anything for that one.
0: No. I kind of thought uh, Terminal Island in the last track, um, warning track, they didn't they didn't really stick out, but Same. they do they do kind of round out the album, okay?
1: Yeah. Warning track. I just wrote Big Time Gun Club, action going on. Tom says we were doing several shows with Green on Red when this was written, so I'm guessing there was some cross-pollination going on, for sure there was. Them and the Gun Club undoubtedly indirectly influenced this arrangement. I know I was channeling my inner Rob Ritter. So there you go. Got to thank there Tom be... Ho- Tom Hoffer for sending all that stuff in.
0: Yeah, totally. That's huge. And and it is like I said at the start of the show. I mean, you kind of when you look up leaving trains, you find the same five or six things. That's about it. And then once you start digging deeper, they start kind of conflicting with each other. So it's great to hear it right from Tom.
1: Yeah, I got a few things about the album cover from him too. Play it on me. Manfred designed the album cover using his own leather jacket as a backdrop and hand coloring many of his own rings and pins to plop on top. He was working as a graphic designer at the time, so that aspect fell to
0: him. Yeah, it definitely looks hand colored, like with a highlighter.
1: Yeah, it looks like the letters on there, too, are maybe hand painted and then cut out. It looks like maybe they were watercolored or something.
0: Yeah, I don't know. They look like a highlighter, man.
1: Yeah, maybe. <laughs> Yeah, so, and then, but I, I
0: agree, hand cut out.
1: And, you know, a lot of these rings or whatever, pins and stuff, there's like skulls, demons, bats, an iron cross, spider webs, there's a chopper, like a motorbike.
0: You know what I thought of when I was looking at these designs on here, like the demon head, skull and crossbones, the bullet, the Indian head, the, uh, the Grim Reaper, you know what I thought of?
1: How wicked it is.
0: no no but you're gonna like this you're gonna like this what's that Uh, what i thought of when i was looking at this cover i was like brandt either has all of these (laughs) or wants them all yeah
1: i want them all. yeah
0: (laughs) yeah (laughs) yeah i I would do it
1: i would sport that leather jacket for sure i know you would yeah
0: i know um what about the back cover
1: well i'm assuming that's james in a dress Playing the Les yeah. Paul. Yeah. And I'm assuming it's Manfred playing the other Lester on there, the black one. Yeah. That, that, Pretty, pic, uh, I mean, that, whoever that is, that photo is the cover of the cassette version, too.
0: Oh, okay. I didn't know that.
1: Yeah. Huh. Which makes sense if you look at the shape of that picture. It's more of a cassette shape, right?
0: Yeah. I was interested that there were like two Les Pauls on here because, I mean, those were pretty pricey guitars back then even too, right?
1: Yeah.
0: You know, usually you're playing juniors or specials or something like that, I don't know. Or uh, what's what's or an the SG uh, even. What, Yeah, what's the one that uh, Joan Jett played?
1: She plays um, a double cutaway, I think, like a...
0: Yeah, what is... Know, studio maybe, not, what do you call those that, things? Yeah, but, uh, but that's what I'm getting at. Like the cheap, the cheaper Les Paul yeah. type guitars, right? Yeah. So... And I mean, uh, Manfred's has got like the white, um, what Ever, do you call it? Everybody
1: played the Johnny Thunders guitar.
0: Yeah, yep. exactly. Yeah. I don't know. He's got the white, uh, what do you, I don't know what you call that, the banding or bonding or something like that on a guitar. I don't know.
1: Yeah. Those are like, yeah, they're, those would fetch a fair price today. I'd say.
0: Yeah. A couple of grand, I bet. Yeah. Um, so we mentioned already, produced by Vitas Matari, Eric Westfall, engineered by Eric Westfall, recorded mixed 85-86. Thanks for the details from Tom. Mad Dog Studios, Venice, California, except Kinette, as you mentioned, recorded August 84 at Lyceum Sound, Mar Vista, California. Engineered by Vitas, cover photo by Greg Allen. You are, and you already mentioned uh, that Brad Holtzman does the back cover photos. Yep, And uh, the front cover by Manfred Hoffer. It's got and, quite the uh,
1: insert too. Like hand-drawn shit on there. Like wording. Is it hand-drawn? I don't
0: know. It looked like it. Maybe not. I don't think so. I don't know. Some. It does definitely look like it was uh, put together by hand though. I yeah. think you can say that safely. The borders are a little askew. Yeah. But it's got uh, insert photos by Greg Allen, Carrie Gold, and Janine Shaver. No uh, no credit for each photo. We don't know who did what. I do like uh, Tom's. It looks like either like a shark skin or sparkly suit jacket. And uh, he's sporting a fender base, which is perfect. Um, and and looks like Falling James... He's got like a like a '60s '70s type of uh, shirt on, hmm. white bell-bottom pants. It looks like nice. Yeah, and then um, now here's the thing, Manfred. He's got he's got a different guitar there. Like that's not a Les Paul. Hmm. That might be a Gretsch. Almost is what it looks like.
1: Man, they had the arsenal down.
0: Yeah. Lots of, lots of get boxes. Some real
1: gunslingers there.
0: Yeah, I'm trying to look, flip over the insert and see what other guitars are here. You can't tell. You only really get a shot of Tom's bass hmm. in these uh, pictures in the back. On the back, though, James Falling James wrote a big story, vignette. It's hard to tell what it is.
1: It's very poetic, whatever it is, whatever you want to call it.
0: Yeah, it's like um, you're going on a trip from place to place you know, starting out in Montana Avenue and you go anywhere, you know, from Central Central America Madagascar Tierra del Fuego and it's pretty random, but um, it's an interesting read when you're listening to the record Yeah
1: You know what, I, I wish I would have asked Tom how they ended up on SST
0: Well, I, you know, I didn't find anything on that, but I kind of assumed it was a lot like um, the farm team deal. What happened with, what's that? Like the farm team deal? Yeah, with Happy Squid almost. Although they were on Enigma for a moment there, but just like Angst, you know, leaving trains started out on Happy Squid. So farm team it, man. That's kind of what I was thinking. Maybe, hey? Yeah. I think that Happy Squid, like, could. They could stand to have like they didn't put out a lot of stuff. They could stand to have like some awesome numero group box set put out or something oh, yeah. like that. Yeah. That would just be that would be a mind blower. I don't think enough people would buy it, unfortunately, but I think it would just be so killer. Yeah. I'm really looking forward to getting into
1: more leaving trains, man. I was really digging this album.
0: Yeah. Let me let me hit you with some uh some dead wax before we do ballot results. Okay. So side one says, tunes don't kill, people do.
1: Hmm. Where That's did we just. One. That sounds like the chunks thing.
0: No. Uh, the chunks thing was, was
1: people don't kill, songs do, or something like that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey, we got back to back dead something wax like here. That.
0: I can't remember what that was on. I thought the last one was spot rules the toilet do Oh, yeah, right. Yeah that one might have been uh from ballot result like the minutemen double lp that you're talking about maybe hey eh? um and then side two the dead wax is i buried manfred hmm. that's it chapter one of the leaving trains very cool yeah ballot result what's your pick uh, it's I don't know it's the only one you could pick for me on this record. She's looking at you as the stone cold classic off this record. Period. Totally. Yeah. It's uh, if if we're doing a ballot result compilation tape, that song was made for compilation tapes. What's next week? Next week is SST seventy two, the Desperate Teenage Love Dolls soundtrack. I'm looking forward to this one because I I like this soundtrack a lot better than the uh, the last teenage love dolls one we did all right
1: hey everyone thanks for listening you can find us on facebook instagram twitter tumblr all at mojack pod we post all kinds of info and tons of pictures of the bands and albums we discuss on the show our blog is mojackpod.com please check it out for some exclusive content